Oh, my God. 
minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nahum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
a.m. Good morning. Welcome, everybody. It's a Friday on this July 10th, the 18th of Tammuz. It's day two of our three weeks format. Uh, you heard a bunch from uh, Ari Goldwag, including uh, finally here, Ma'amin Benissim and Keladon. Bitachon had some Zmiros for us. Yom Shabbason, Shalom Aleichem, Tzor Mishalo, Naur Haiti, and Menucha Vesimcha. And of course, Regesh Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. It's Friday on this July 10th, the 18th of Tammuz, Erev Shabbos Parshas Pinchas. The Haftorah will be the one we normally read for Parshas Matos. Candlelighting time at 8.08 in the New York area. 8.08, make sure you know when things start where you are. Again, 8.08 in New York for your candlelighting time. 77 degrees, 90% humidity. Winds today will be all the way up to 35 to 40 miles per hour. They're talking about a tropical storm warning in this area. With windy weather, thunderstorms, um, high temperature of 78, possibly two inches of rain. Be careful out there today. Tonight, we've got the windy weather, showers, and thunderstorms, a low 74. And tomorrow, afternoon thunderstorms and a high of 85 degrees. We shall line right now at 83. We're at 77 here in New York City. As we say good morning at JM and the AM. Weekly update coming up at an hour and change from now with Malcolm Honline, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He will join us coming up. Um, Harry Rothenberg, Parshas Pinchas, a little over a half hour from now, or by Uden, of course, at 8.15, with his uh, words about Parshas Pinchas, all happening here on a, uh, what is today, Friday morning, <laughs> Erev Shabbos at JM in the AM. <laughs> all right. Baruch Hashem. Uh, more coming up. Thanks so much for tuning in. Our three weeks format continues with Cole Ish. At JM in the AM. Tam 
Shabbos was carried on a song. Whoa, I asked the man, I saw how many Jews in this town. He said to me, there used to be a million around. But one of us passed away and we've been feeling down. Yet now it seems as though another Jew has been found. Won't you stay with us for Shabbos? Eliyahu, 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 E
Oh, <laughs> 
לירוס בטוב השם, בארץ חיים, לולי אמרתי, לירוס בטוב השם, לירוס בטוב השם, בארץ חיים, J.M. in the A.M. Good morning. 
Uh, Lule Hamanti from Leif Tahar, you heard 613 with their song, Leif Tahar. Habait, that was Avrami Flam, Schlockrock, Hadaliyah, and Avi, and Minion Man. Cole Ish with Meheira to open up that set. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, on this July 10th, the 18th of Tammuz. Good morning, everybody. I think in the report I saw yesterday, it said that, I think it said 60 million kids go to overnight camps every summer in this country. I think they said 60 million. Does that make sense? I think it was 60, unless it was 50 maybe. Um, unless they were counting day camps as well. I don't remember exactly what the statistic was. Anyway, 6 million kids are in camp this summer. Just to show you, very small percentage of the general camp population. I don't know what made me think of that, but hey, <laughs> thought I'd toss it out there for those of you out there to uh, digest. Uh, a special shout-out to Hamilton Kosher up in Hamilton, Ontario. We have, based on our uh, app comments, a suspicion that the uh, director of Hamilton Kosher, who is one of the greatest people on planet Earth, frankly, is tuned into JM and the AM, and I thank him very, very much. Um, this portion of NSN programming brought to you by our friends at A&H. Abel's and Hyman Kosher Hot Dog Sausage in Delhi is the world's best, serving the kosher world since 1954, now available at every Trader Joe's in the United States of America. How do you like that? Try A&H today. Go to kosherdogs.net. 10% discount with promo code radio. Kosherdogs.net. 10% discount with promo code radio. Weekly update with Malcolm Holmline about 40 minutes away. Uh, Harry Rothenberg 10 minutes away with the uh, his words about Parsha's Pinchas. Plenty more happening here on a Friday morning. Erev Shabbos at JM in the AM. Galitzal in the background. Galitzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Friday follows next. We say Boker Tov from JM in the AM. משרד הבריאות מעדכן כי מספר החולים החדשים שאושפזו במצב קשה בעשרת הימים האחרונים עומד על 154, שני בהיקפו רק לחודש אפריל. כתבנו לענייני בריאות מאיר מרציאן המוסר כי לשם ההשוואה בחודש מאי אושפזו 38 חולים קשים לעומת חודש יוני בו אושפזו 130 חולים קשים. ובתוך כך לפני שעה נכנס לתוקף הסגר על שכונות בבית שמש, בירושלים, ברמלה, בלוד ובקריית מלאכי בהן שיעור התחלואה הגבוה במיוחד. כתבתנו המדינית מוריה אסרף וולברג מוסרת כי ההגבלות תהיינה תקפות למשך שבוע בדיוק. השר לביטחון הפנים אמיר אוחנה נפגש עם ראשי הסיעות החרדיות על רקע הטענות לאכיפת יתר של המשטרה בציבור החרדי. בשיחה הביעו ראשי הסיעות את התחושות הקשות העולות בציבור החרדי לנוכח האכיפה המוגברת לדבריהם של חובת עטיית המסכות. בתום השיחה הוחלט כי יש צורך במינוי אדם שיתפקד כגורם המקשר בין החברה החרדית והמשטרה. כמו כן הנחה השר אוחנה את המפקדים להורות לשוטרים לאכוף את התקנות בחוכמה ובשיקול דעת. 
חבר הכנסת ניר ברקת נכנס הבוקר לבידוד לאחר שנודע לו כי נפגש בכנסת עם חולת קורונה מאומתת לפני כשבוע. מטעמו נמסר כי ערך בדיקה עם משרד הבריאות ומהיום כאמור ישהה בבידוד. קודם לכן פורסם על מקרה נוסף של קורונה בכנסת, עוזרה הפרלמנטרי של חברת הכנסת אורנה ברביבאי אובחן כחולה. על פי בדיקה ראשונית שהה העוזר בכנסת ביום שני האחרון, שישה ביולי. ידיעה שמסר כתבנו יניר קוזין. תנועות הנוער בישראל יפגינו ביום ראשון מול ישיבת הממשלה בירושלים במחאה להחלטה לבטל את מחנות הקיץ והפעילויות לכיתות ה' ומעלה. בהפגנה צפויים להשתתף מאות בני נוער ומתנדבי שנות השירות מכל התנועות. מזכ"ל מועצת תנועות הנוער נפתלי דרעי אמר כי פעילות התנועות היא חיסון חברתי לבני הנוער ועצירת הפעילות תשיג את ההפך מהמטרה. ידיעה שמסר כתבנו לענייני חינוך, דורון קדוש. עורך הדין יוסי שגב ייכנס לצוות ההגנה של ראש הממשלה נתניהו. שגב מצטרף לעורך הדין עמית חדד ונמסר כי מגעים מתנהלים גם מול עורך הדין בועז בן צור. עוד נמסר מדוברות ראש הממשלה, ממשיכים להתנהל מגעים עם הגורמים המוסמכים על מנת שניתן יהיה לממן את הצוות המשפטי וראש הממשלה יזכה להגנה נאותה אל מול מאות מיליוני השקלים שהמדינה הוציאה במימון תיקי הסרק נגדו לשון ההודעה. ספורט, ריאל מדריד תוכל לפגוש את כוכבה לשעבר קריסטיאנו רונלדו, קבוצתו יובנטוס, אם תעבור את מנצ'סטר סיטי. כך עלה בהגרלת רבע גמר ליגת האלופות שנערכה לפני שעה קלה. עוד עלה כי ברצלונה תוכל לפגוש את אלופת גרמניה ביירן מינכן. כתב חדשות הספורט ליאל אריה מוסר כי השלבים הסופיים של הטורניר התקיימו בין 12 ל-23 באוגוסט בליסבון בשל הקורונה. ותחזית מזג האוויר היום יהיה בהיר עד מעונן חלקית ותורגש עלייה קלה בטמפרטורות, מחר צפויה התחממות נוספת. אלה החדשות שעורכת תום ויינטראובלוק. Yachzilu boni, 
Oh, I love you. 
the base on Mikdash Medley, Mendy Werdiger and Company. It's a three weeks format Friday. JM and the AM candlelighting in New York at 8.08. Uh, weekly update about a half hour away with Malcolm Honline, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. That's coming up. Uh, Harry Rothenberg in the 7 o'clock hour Friday morning shares with us his thoughts about the weekly Parsha. This week, Parshas Pinchas. Here he is at JM in the AM. Our arch enemy, Bilam, had a plan. At the end of last week's Torah portion, when his attempt to curse the Jews failed, he went to plan B. He told his colleague, King Balak, who had hired him, to instead of trying to curse the Jews, to round up all the very attractive non-Jewish women in his nation, to build a marketplace, to send those young women in, to seduce the Jewish men, and to also convince those men to worship idols. At the center of this terrible episode were Zimri, the leader of the Jewish tribe of Shimon, and Cosby, the daughter of Tzur from Midjan, who were cohabiting in the tent in plain view of the nation until Pinchas, the hero of this week's Torah portion, entered the tent and killed them. Now, Cosby, Bas Tzur, Cosby, the daughter of Tzur, that's not her actual name, that woman from Midjan. Her real name was Shevilnai, and her father, Tzur, is known to us by a different name. Her father, Tzur, was none other than King Balak himself. Cosby was the princess. Now, why in the world would King Balak conscript his daughter to be a seductress? The Medrash answers that question. It tells us that when Balak originally heard Bilam's plan, he balked. He said, the young girls from my nation won't agree to do this. And Bilam said, yes, they will. Send your daughter first. Once the princess goes, all the other young women will follow suit. And it worked. The Talmud tells us that the reason for her nickname, Cosby, is that that name includes the root word in Hebrew for deceit, because she deceived her father. Her father had told her to seduce a very specific Jewish man, and she instead consorted with Zimri. In fact, Zimri, we're told, intercepted her amorous advances. When she told him who she was heading to seduce, Zimri said, no, you don't want him. I'm more important than him. The guy you're looking for is only the prince of the third of the Jewish tribes. I'm the prince. I'm the leader of the second of the tribes. So who was her original target? Who did King Bala tell his daughter Cosby to seduce? None other than Moses, Moshe himself. Now, I don't know whether that seduction was ever attempted, but the mere fact that King Bullock thought that Moshe, of all people, might be susceptible to that type of temptation should give us all pause. We've seen throughout history presidents, kings, governors, tycoons, legislators, senators risk everything, their wealth, their honor, their prestige, their power, all for a foolish fling. Why? Because that voice, the voice of the evil inclination, told them, tells us, that it can't possibly get any better than this. But we know that's not true. We know that running after base and forbidden desires is hollow. It doesn't lead to lasting happiness. The only things that do are jobs well done and working hard and restraining ourselves and spiritual pleasures, the types that we get in the afterlife, in the world to come. But even though we know that in our heads, we may not always act that way because sin crouches at the door and all of us have to be ever vigilant.
Been a lot of places. I've been all around the world. Seen a lot of faces. Never know where I was on the horizon. Ooh, well I know, I know, I know, I know. So I'll be rising back home. No, we won't forget where we came from. The city won't change us. We beat to the same drum. No, we won't forget where we came from. The city won't change us. We beat to the same It's hard to commit to it. You say that it's hard standing still. Don't you know that I spend all my nights counting backwards the days till I'm home? השם רועי לא אחסר, בנאות דשא ירביצני, על מי מנוחות ינהלני. נפשי ישובב ינחני, במעג לצדק למען שמו, גם כי אלך בגית צלמוות לא ירערה. כי אתה עמדי. שבטך ומשענתך, 
תערוך לפניי שולחן נגד צורריי, נשנת בשמן ראשי, כוסי רוויה, אך טוב החסד ירדפוני, כל ימי חיי, ושבתי בבית השם לאורך ימים. לאורך ימים. אהההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההההה
הנה לא ינום, ינום, ולא יישן, שומר ישראל. השם שומריך, השם צילך, על יד ימיניך. יומם השמש לא יככה, וירח בלילה. השם ישמורך מכל רע, ישמור את נפשך. השם ישמור צאתך ובואך, מעתה ועד עולם. שיר למעלות, אשא עיניי אל ההרים, מאין יבוא עזרי, עזרי מעם השם, עושה שמים וארץ, אל ייתן למות רגליך. ZANG ZANG השם ישמור צאתך ובואך מעתה ועד עולם. ידיד נפש אהברך אמן משוך עבדך אל רצונך. ירוץ עבדך כמו אייל, ישתחווה אל מול הדריך. יערב לו ידידותיך 
מנופל צוף וכל טעם. הדור נאה זיו העולם נפשי חולת אהבתך אנא כלנא הוי רפאנא לה בהראות לה נועם זיווך אז תתחזק ותתרפא והייתה לה שמחת עולם. ותיק, ותיק, ימונה רחמך וחוסנה על בין אהוביך. כי זה כמה נכסוף נכספתי לראות מהרה בתפארת עוזך. אלך עמדה, חמדה ליבי וחוסנה ואל תתעלם. היגאלה, היגאלה נא ופרוס חביבי עלי את סוכת, את סוכת שלומך. תאיר ארץ מכבודך, נגילה ונשמחה בך. מהר אהוב כי במועד וכוננו כימי עולם וכוננו כימי עולם Friday morning, JM in the AM Yosef Karduna, you heard him with Yedid Nefesh, Shira Malos and Mizmor Ledavid here at JM. The end before that, the uh, Maccabees had home um, on a Friday morning Erev Shabbos. Uh, Erev Shabbos Parshas Pinchas with candle lighting at 8.08. Good morning, everybody. Hope your fast was uh, fast, easy, and meaningful yesterday. I don't think anybody that I spoke to felt it was a fast, fast day. <laughs> I hope it was for you, but boy, that Shavasa Ratamos comes out of nowhere, and it's a rough one in this area. And other parts of the world which are much shorter fast, but not here. Wow. Anyway, I hope, uh, hope all went well. Now welcome to uh, Erev Shabbos, the first of the three Shabbatot between Shavasar Ratamos and the Tishabov. want to thank those who've been supporting us uh, and keeping us going by uh, making generous donations at fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org. And I thank those of you who will be doing that later today or this morning fjbunity.org. Thank you very much. Lots of wind, lots of rain, thunderstorms, some flooding. Got it all going on today in this area, so be careful with a high of 78. Tonight, go down to 74. Tomorrow afternoon, thunderstorms and a high of 85 degrees. This portion of NSN programming brought to you by our friends at A&H. Abel's and Hyman Kosher Hot Dog Sausage in Delhi is the world's best, and it's now available at Trader Joe's Nationwide. Yeah. 
You get those hot dogs and Trader Joe's everywhere. Try A&H today. Also, our friends at Art School remind you that the Chumash with Teachings of the Talmud is available for 30% off and free shipping if you use promo code RADIO. Hey, use promo code RADIO. Always worthwhile to put in promo code RADIO on the Art Scroll website. 30% off on all Parsha books with promo code RADIO. Go to artscroll.com. Again, go to artscroll.com. Don't forget, we're collecting resumes. Get your resumes in if you're looking for a job. Resume at NahumSiegel.com. Resume at NahumSiegel.com. Everything in the Jewish not-for-profit executive world will be passed on to our friends at the Joel Pohl Group. Resume at NahumSiegel.com. Feel free to comment on the app. Go to the NSN, Nahum Siegel Network app, for Android and iPhone and comment away. Um, <laughs> listener Tina says, hey, Hamilton, Ontario. I'm from Montreal, and I know the Schweitzers. <laughs> I love Jewish geography on our app. That's always the best. Trucker Yitz lobbying for an Erev Shabbos show for Australia. That's pretty funny, Yitz. And the reason we mentioned Hamilton is because um, listener M. Zions, who is the uh, director of uh, Hamilton Kosher in Hamilton, Ontario, uh, made a comment on the app yesterday afternoon how much he was enjoying JM and the AM. So just wanted to mention that. And give a special shout-out to uh, Hamilton, Ontario. By the way, listener Ruby and I yesterday uh, confirmed that if you have an Alexa, if you have an Alexa unit and you don't want to use your app through your phone to go through it, you just want Alexa to play the show, to play the network, what you do is, because we don't have a specific skill that tells Alexa to turn on NSN, but what you can do is, if you say, hey, Alexa, play Nahum Siegel Network on... uh, on TuneIn Radio, again, if you say, Hi, hey, Alexa, play Nahum Siegel Network on TuneIn Radio, if you, do, if you do it with that language, you'll be connected immediately to JM and the AM and the Nahum Siegel Network. So keep that in mind if you have an Alexa in your home. More coming up. It's Miami at JM and the AM.
As we sit around the campfire at this time of the year, let's reflect on the 12,000 peers of Talmidim of Rabbi Akiva and remember how careful we have to be with this klal.
Pasarela Sugim Talmidim Hayulai Lerabi Akiva Miami Boys with a three weeks format selection here at JM in the AM. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. Keep in mind our friends at JewishWorldReview.com. It's a good resource to go print out, at, uh, especially as um, as the, as the um, what's the word I'm looking for? <laughs> as the amount of printed material, the amount of Jewish printed material continues to dwindle. In our community, you may want to go to that website and print out some articles before Shabbos. Go to uh, JewishWorldReview.com and uh, see what they have to offer. I think you'll be impressed. Um, a reminder, we are trying to help with the uh, issue of employment. If you have a resume you'd like to get to us, you never know who we might be able to match you up with regarding employers out there those who are still hiring, um, resume at NahumSiegel.com, resume at NahumSiegel.com, anything, of course, in the not-for-profit Jewish executive arena we pass on to our friends at the Joel Paul Group. That is their expertise. Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us Friday mornings. 7.40 a.m. for the weekly update. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the a.m. Thank you. It's always good to be with you. Good Appreci- to have you back. Appreciate it. Good help, we hope. Getting back to full strength. You know what they say, Mr. Honline? Uh, I'm not sure. When you, by, by, <laughs> the way, by the way, this is, this is really true. Take it from somebody who's broken both elbows. Uh, the doctors will tell you that when you have trauma to your elbow, the only part of your arm that does not hurt is your elbow. 
the rest of it kills. So, <laughs> it takes revenge on the rest so, of your arm. So isn't life funny? I'll tell you. Hasn't God created an interesting world, to say the least? Uh, <laughs> speaking of health, uh, we're looking at our friends and colleagues and associates and relatives in Israel, and there's uh, certainly a challenging COVID situation going on right now. Is the prime minister getting this under control? Uh, they're certainly working at trying to get things under control. Uh, the problem is that um, you know we, there's so little knowledge about this virus, um, even its nature, bacteria, virus. All the all the debates that are going on, what treatments work, and certainly that there's still no vaccine or or protocol. So he, he I mean, they're all boxing in the dark, and and I think that this is um, you know beyond his particular control. Did he lift it too early? Did he lift it at the right time? I mean, you know, it's like a Jewish holidays and just never on time. He gets too early, too late. But, you know, it, it's, it, it's a mysterious disease, and that's why people can't let their guard down. They've got to continue to wear the mask. And even if you have antibodies, you don't know that you're not a carrier. You see people who are now in a second round or that the antibodies diminish or the so for themselves, but more so for others that you come in contact with. You know, now know that it lingers in the air much longer than people thought. So it's it's a mysterious disease. We don't know the long-term impact that people have symptoms that show up much later uh, after they supposedly recovered and see that there is long-term damage to different organs or different parts of the body. So it's really the uh, urging people, be careful, don't, don't take chances with it. Uh, any age, by the way, children can get it. Young people are getting it more now than before. And the, you know, the Israelis have unfortunately now a real surge. More people died yesterday, and the number of cases is is much greater than in the first round. It is amazing, and 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 not just that they were rightfully bragging, and I'm not saying that in a derogatory fashion that they had handled it right at the beginning. Uh, they really did. I mean, again, they may have had an easier situation in other parts of the world with you know one one international airport and uh, the ability to lit- literally enforce the lockdown of the country. Uh, it is just, but it is amazing. It is amazing that that did not work for the length of time they did it and that they're in that, this situation right now. And by the way, I know, I know there's a debate about the, you know, the, the businesses staying open versus, you know, shuls uh, in Israel, you know, having their numbers diminish in terms of what you're allowed to have, 20 people, 30 people, et cetera. Um, and, and I get that, you know, and, and we could sit and discuss how, you know, authorities in Israel may not care as much about synagogue as they do about businesses. I get that. But th- at the minimum, you do see at least that he, meaning the prime minister, understands the value of trying to keep as many businesses open as possible. And in the long run, I would guess, even even with the fear and the possibility of infection, I would guess that that's, you know, he understands, he is an economic expert, right? Uh, he understands how vital that is for the future of the country. Some of that example I think we could use here in this area of the U.S., frankly? Well, I think he's tried to balance uh, those concerns, and I do think he has tried to keep shuls, yeshivas, other things open, institutions open, available to people, services. But at some point, you ha- I mean, when they have to close down a community, like they did this week and several more probably this weekend, um, it's, it's a necessity because it's for the protection of the people themselves. And you know that they have hotels for people still operating for those with the, the virus right. to isolate them, to take them out of the general population. They don't spread. 
But, I mean, I think that there's generally been sensitivity demonstrated for all the ramifications here, too. I mean, businesses going, uh, uh, people going out of business are not going to come back, and a lot of them, and a lot of them are, are going to suffer, and the unemployment rates, even though there are jobs coming back, but it's still a small proportion, perhaps a third of what we are back. Um, you know, none of these decisions can be taken lightly, I, I understand, and we have to sometimes take take chances, but not when it comes to human life. Yeah, I hear that. Um, also, those who are depending on getting to Israel, even students who are depending on getting to Israel, and by the way, I, I laud those organizations and yeshivot that are working very hard to, you know, with the Israeli government to, you know, obtain access for students to come during the month of Elul and later to Israel, and of course, quarantine, etc., and go through all the regulations and behave at the yeshiva and seminaries the way they're supposed to, health-wise. I, I get all that, and I and I do admire the effort, but it, we are living in such uh, <laughs> in such uncertain times that that everybody at every age, even those students who are teenagers who think they're going to Israel, need to understand that that you know by the by the next day things can be completely different, and obviously we're seeing this you know very often. So if if you're making plans. Right, not a criticism. Just saying, if you're making plans, just be aware of the fact that you know anything can change at a moment's notice. And that I mean, I know the number of calls I get, which is minimal compared to what the consulate told me. I think they were getting 700 calls a day from people uh, about, for especially kids wanting to go to school next year, students and yeshivas and the seminaries, um, people who want to travel for the Yom Tovim or have a family and trying to, you know, isolate out the really urgent cases. Uh, but people should be patient. It's, uh, you know, they're working on a limited staff and a limited scale. And then you have to get permission from the Ministry of Health in Israel for everything. And it's, it's, a, very, it's a complicated process now. And a lot of people will be disappointed because I don't, El Al is not flying. And we don't know when other flights will go uh, and how they'll handle the um, People coming in from abroad. I know a group of lone soldiers that just went, and we're waiting for uh, the processing. But I think that they actually got off on time. By the way, one other thing: uh, as we talk about, uh, you know, uh, as we talk about the regulations and the enforcements, etc., um, uh, we got we have to be very careful as a community, especially the neighborhoods in our community that think they have herd immunity and therefore, you know, the COVID's over. Uh, and and I say it not just because I'm I'm concerned about a, a resurgence in certain neighborhoods and communities, but on top of that, um, as you see from the mayor of Uman, uh, the mayor not enthusiastic about welcoming people Rosh Hashanah to that area of the world in the Ukraine. Um, I I can only imagine in certain areas where uh, you know public sukkahs are put up. I know we're already thinking of these holidays. Public sukkahs are put up. People are going to be wary of, you know, allowing those to be built because of the gatherings that go on inside. Um, and on top of that, you know, just Rosh Hashanah and Kippur, it's not just an issue of how many people are we allowed and can we hold services. It's also how is it going to look if we pack our synagogues during those services, uh, during those uh, holidays, if in fact, you know, things are basically the way they are uh, right now when we get to the month of Tishrei. So I think we have a lot to be concerned about, not just about how we are behaving worldwide when it comes to the pandemic, but also how others are going to view us when we go through all these things. It's all true, absolutely. And uh, I think for many people, many schools, I'm not sure they're going to open in Britain. They already announced that schools won't open for uh, Rosh Hashanah, and people are creating alternative 
um, options, which I know is even happening in my own neighborhood where people are talking about uh, these options. Wow. Uh, it's, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's very dis, uh, disorienting, and as we're all disoriented as it is. I tell people, yeah. I know I make Abdallah, and then I make in Kiddush, and right. something happens in between, but I'm not sure what. And the... Um, you know, this is, uh, for many people, this is, it's it's a very difficult and stressful time, especially with children with the camps, which I think is very unfortunate. But, again, you see that there are cases where camps have to close, or, um, although the majority took the right precautions and seemed to be handling it well. Well, I think all of them took the right precautions. Some got lucky and some haven't, but I think all of them took the right precautions. And one of the prices is that people are not paying attention to the issues you know, that we would normally discuss and that would take precedence. Oh, I mean, there is so much we, on Iran, there's we, so much on Turkey, there's so much on... We will get to those issues. No, I know, I'm not talking about you, I'm saying in general that oh, people yeah. are not focused and uh, and not uh, really interested because this is, uh, maybe they're on overkill with Zooms already and, and things like that, but it's... <laughs> yeah, it's over, <laughs> overkill with everything that's allowed at this point. Um, you saw what happened to the baking baking industry. <laughs> All of a sudden, they went from a uh, from from no chocolate available to a surplus of chocolate because people got sick sick of baking. Even, <laughs> even that they got sick of. One note that a rabbi said to me yesterday: at least if there's outdoor chauffeur blowings going on, at least it's only one day. We got that break this year that uh, we only have one day of Takia chauffeur. Everybody thinking of every detail of what's an advantage now during COVID. You mentioned Alal. Is it really possible that a private person or family is going to come in and save them and literally purchase the airline? Well, it's happened before, and um, it's possible. But you know, the, the the economics are are very severe right now there, and it'll need government assistance. It's already getting government assistance, even for their internal flights. The flights to a lot, for instance, which is a lifeline for travel, tourism, other for the internal tourism, which is still going on, and it's keeping some of the hotels open. At least they can keep the skeletal stamps. But uh, most hotels, you know, obviously have great vacancies. Uh, so you need LL for those domestic flights. You need LL, a uh, country needs a national airline. Uh, it, it has symbolic beyond the economic and all the other ramifications. So I think that uh, then they'll have to find some answer uh, if they can get a bargain, I think on on LL right now, yeah, <laughs> and you get a lot of Matbid points if you buy it. Well, <laughs> the way Matbid works, I'm not so sure you should make that commitment publicly, Malcolm. But but the the, the likelihood is the likelihood right. is that the upgrades will be available for someone in that position. Right. <laughs> all right, we'll get to Iran and everything else, which is of course uh, probably the biggest news item of the week of all the things you alluded to. But just start for a moment. I know I drive you crazy each week on the annexation thing, but I think the Jerusalem Post is right that all of a sudden July 1st showed up and annexation has, you know, we haven't even heard the word in the last 10 days. Is there an update on that you can give us? Yes, if you remember in all our discussions, I kept saying that July 1st is a target, is not a deadline, and that the likelihood is that you'll have some sort of a phased approach that, um, you know, a lot depends on, on the climate and where the U.S. stands and where you know, the other Arab countries that Israel is developing relationships with. It's a very complicated and multifaceted issue. It's not simply the question of making an announcement that you're applying sovereignty to to an area. It might be true, let's say, in the, in the Jordan Valley, but 
the in the, in the other ramifications, do you see that the mapping process, which has been going on for so long, that has not been completed. So every road and every connection and everything has to be decided and discussed, and you need to have a unified government, and you need to do this all in concert with the U.S., which says, but we will agree to all this, but it has to be part of a of a plan which includes. A commitment to to a Palestinian state, which a lot of people also object to. So you have objections on the left, you have the objections on the right, and given the the COVID uh, issue right now, I think it takes precedence. Um, and having this breathing time and time to decide what to do is important. But if you, uh, if, but it, but if Israeli authorities feel that this has to be done with President Trump in office. I mean, I know he's minimum in office till mid-January. I get that, but you know, time is running out, sort of. No, but after if if he, he's not going to be reelected, then then the sort of the deadlines you don't do things the last weeks. Although President Obama, if you remember, did it at the UN right. in the last month. But um, yeah, it could move ahead. But people do feel the pressure of those deadlines, and also that time. The more the time passes, that you have to create a reality, and it doesn't have to be actually an anti-peace option. It could be promotion. If, if in fact, Palestinians now are reaching out and are, you know, seeing the realities, at least some of them, uh, that this time is continuously moving against them, they see that the Arab countries are no longer interested in advocating for it, and, you know, at best they find it a nuisance, um, which is what Arab leaders actually say to us, uh, then maybe a reality will, will set in that will produce a positive result. Uh, in Iran, uh, nuclear facilities, standard weapons facilities, IRGC facilities, uh, not only are they open targets over the last two, three weeks, but uh, it seems that they've been very easy open targets. Can you update us on that, please? Uh, yeah, we still don't know the full story, but uh, there was another explosion yesterday. Now, we know in one case uh, a group um, called a domestic terrorist group or opposition group in, in Iran notified the BBC uh, 20 or 30 minutes before the Natanz bombing that they, they were going to attack it. So that seems to be somewhat uh, a possible, I think, called the uh, Homeland Panthers or something like that. Yeah. And the um, now there are all sorts of theories. One is that these this is cyber attack and that they were able to get into the like Stuxnet this is they call it the son of Stuxnet <laughs> uh, but we don't know that for sure the second is that there were reports and even a very high ranking person said to me yesterday that there were planes involved and yet others say that, that, that that's not true uh, there could be it's probably a combination of, of different things that that was involved but it's, it was they weren't able to deny it because everybody saw the ball of fire at the facilities that at Parchin. But the more important one is the one at Natanz, where they clearly destroyed the assembly hall for the more advanced centrifuges. And this is a big setback for them in their nuclear program. And obviously, somebody know, knew what that there were developments or breakthroughs. And this, and the, the development of these more advanced centrifuges means that they can move much more quickly to having enough rich uranium to build a bomb. And you notice there's no world outcry. <laughs> you don't hear reaction because everybody, you know, gets it that Iran is violating the agreements. There was a fascinating report and, um, that came out of the United Nations, of all places, um, which, you know, always gives a buy to anything that 
that Iran does. And yet they came out with such um, a strong report, and uh, Guterres's name was on the report itself, and it, it detailed all the violations, and, and really a significant statement, and especially, as I said, with the imprimatur of the Security Council, it, it's actually the implementation report on the Security Council Resolution 2231, and they... But they, they uh, talk about the violations in terms of the nuclear program. There are violations in terms of uh, their activities in the region and their support for terrorist organizations and providing arms. And this comes in the midst of the debate that's going on now about extending the arms embargo, which is really critical. And unfortunately, China and Russia are trying to block it. The U.S. and Secretary Pompeo has done a great job trying to advocate for it. European uh, countries are in it or not? So the European countries want to see an extension. They're talking about a three-month extension, mm. uh, some of them. Uh, but even those who, who may not have been so assertive in, in regard to Iran uh, and previously are more because they see the violations. So you can't deny the IAA says they're not letting us into the sites. We're not able to, to visit the, the locations, the, the inspections. And uh, I think the, the um, you know the general and the evidence that they provided that the weapons that were used in the attack on Saudi Arabia and the more recent attacks are in fact uh, tied to to Iran. All of this in a UN report. So it's it's hard to to deny the significance or to to avoid it. And I think there's a general understanding, but we, we, we've seen them. By the way, a court in the United States just awarded the $879 million to the victims, the families of victims at Hobart Towers in Saudi Arabia, which they blamed on Iran. Uh, Iran doesn't pay, but it means that they can seize assets and stuff if they can find any. But the one of the things about the tax is that people say, well, they hit power plants. But it may be that they hit power, power plants to knock out the electricity to the real targets that they hit. Right. Uh, and, yeah. Yeah, and, and, the, and you saw also the United States seized weapons that were going to the Houthis, and there were explosive-laden boats that were uh, in the Gulf that was, uh, are tied to Iran. And so, you know, there's so many manifestations and things that we can't go into everything because Iran is so complicated. But... Um, uh, let's go to yeah. a, let's go to yeah. a couple of questions that the casual observer like me is curious about. First off, I mean, I mean, every time this happens or anything similar to this, I get it that it's not exactly, uh, you know, the, the way the uh, Syrian attacks, for instance, happen. Uh, we, we always think it's Israel, or or we'll toss out the idea Israel with the permission of America. The way you're describing it, it's not necessarily so in this case. It really is. It, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't call it a mystery. I have a feeling you know more than you're telling us. But it, but it is possible that there are other elements or other uh, or other countries, other governments, uh, that might have been able to pull this off aside from Israel at this point. I don't know that other governments that could be there are there is a lot of domestic opposition, and there are groups that are coming out and saying things. Uh, as I said, that credible evidence about Natanz um, certainly makes you rethink uh, who who could be responsible. Uh, the question whether there were uh, airplanes involved. Remember, Iran is not going to acknowledge this because it demonstrates that they have no air defense system, right? If you if you can get planes to, to fly over Tehran and elsewhere, and you know that Israel did it before. If Israel and, was and, involved, would they acknowledge it? Uh, no. And you don't want it to acknowledge it because you, you don't want to force Iran 
to, to then have to publicly yeah. respond. They're threatening to respond, but so far, but even see, with the attacks in Syria, they're not. And, and if you notice, one thing, the very clever remark by um, some Iranian officials saying, don't create narratives about this directed at Israel, meaning don't boast about this. Don't force us to do stuff. If you, keep, if you make claims that you did it and you know, these things always leak from Israel. Right. Uh, at least I interpreted that as uh, as a message to Israel. Don't don't force us, uh, you know, to to respond. But it does show the weakness of of uh, their system. You know, they're now Iran is trying to improve or committed to improve the Syrian air defense systems in a new deal that they signed between the two countries, a military defense. Um, uh, deal and uh, goal was to get rid of all the foreign forces by which they identify not just Israel but also Turkey, Russia, others, um, and the the um, and they're offering to build up the air defense system <clears throat> when clearly they have not been able to be effective neither in Syria nor in um, in Iran itself. So <laughs> well, this has a, this is a very embarrassing. They're trying to uh, sell development. They're trying to sell the air defense system. Pardon me? They're trying to sell it? Yes, they're going to, to sell them. They have to remember, they have these missile programs, and they are de- developing their own missiles, but nobody seems to think that right. this, is, this is going to be a so, big game changer. So if I've read between the lines properly, right, using that um, uh, premise that I've read between the lines properly, um, why, would, why would Israel or whoever is responsible for this not have done this long ago? If it is if it is that easy, to, is intelligence that different now? Is the ease with which they could pull this off that different now? That they couldn't have done this or similar attacks? And you see, they've spread them out. It's not like it's one attack and they know they can't get away with more. They've done this over a period of three weeks already. Why would this have not happened a year ago or two years ago? What what is now happening in Iran, or what stage are they at uh, in their development of these weapons? That that this is the period of time chosen to do this. So number one, intelligence is a critical factor in this absolutely number two they they um they want they have to reach a certain point where it justifies it meaning that you don't attack too prematurely because then they can rebuild and they're certainly going to build it more uh more securely than they did before and um uh, and also timing is very important so if domestic groups were involved, they had to do it when they could. If it's other elements involved, they have to make an assessment, and there's clearly some sense that Iran was crossing thresholds. Uh, and Israel has always said, we're not going to allow them to become a nuclear power. So, you know, there is a lot of cheshbonos, there are a lot of accounts that have to be a box that checked off if you're going to... Um, Take, undertake this kind of, of, of action. So the message to us basically is that Iran was much further along than anyone wanted them to be at this point. That's absolutely true, and we know that they are uh, enriching way beyond, and they announce it, that they're enriching beyond the limits that they were supposed to under JCPOA, and then they're telling us that they're going to advance it, and they're, and they're being more aggressive and everything. But for Israel, the critical issue is the nuclear program and the missile uh, program. So one of the sites that was hit was related to uh, missile production. Uh, but, you know, they, they, they said that a shed was destroyed and showed pictures, but once you have satellites 
operative. And these are commercial satellites, so it's not a political agenda on the part of some country, but a political uh, showing, so it's no political objective in, in uh, making the revelation. These are commercial satellites that show how deep the destruction was. So it wasn't the surface uh, facilities, and often there were secondary um, targets. It is. Um, I'll tell you. It is. Uh, it's promising to know that the that those who care who care about Iran not being uh, equipped with nuclear uh, weapons or or full nuclear weapon capability uh, are able to infiltrate in this way. It, it's. It's. You know. It, it, you could sleep a drop better at night knowing that that there's the capability of taking them out in this manner. That's true. But I would be much more excited if, in fact, there is the infrastructure developing inside the country of people who want to bring about regime change, who are uh, willing to take the risk to stop the nuclear program, who recognize why this is a danger. Is it developing? Well, if if this is a domestic group that carried out that attack... You'd have to assume, right? Then you assume, yes. But as you know, we do keep a relationship with, with some of the dissident groups. And, uh, yes, there is growing uh, organization and growing frustration. But look at the economy. They, they locked four zeros off, the, off their uh, the real. They changed it now to the Toman, which is like an exchange rate of 10 to 1. But people, all their savings are wiped out. And the, they're still selling, uh, for instance, they just signed a deal with Turkey to sell uh, natural gas. But their oil exports are about 10% of what they were this time last year. The, the currency has fallen again. It's, it's almost worthless. And they are, they are desperate for, for money. Um, and th- that's why the sanctions that you re- don't read about really are so effective and, and it's c- impactful, not just when they are announced, but in the longer run. And countries are afraid to engage in that kind of um, in, in a violation that will cut them off from access to American bank or banking systems. I did see a video this week of Iranian students refusing to step on the American flag. That is true, and you and you know that there are other things that are not necessarily reported outside, and hopefully the shakeup of the VOA, Voice of America, and other broadcasts will, will give us greater uh, access into the country and out of the country. Um, but, the, the, yes, the, I think many of the people, the young people in Iran, uh, unfortunately, a lot of young people in America don't don't appreciate the, all the gifts and, and well, uh, the wanna, wonders of America. I want to bring those Iranian students here to lecture on the college campuses about not stepping on the American flag. Not, right. not a bad idea, right? Right. And you know, by the way, another source <laughs> of tension, and it's just emblematic of the the failure to, to, to give uh, attention to, to a lot of the stuff that, that is going on, is that the, uh, the in Iraq... There's growing opposition. They're trying to throw out the, the Iranians. This week there were some setbacks because the pro-Iranian militias got the release of 14 terrorists that the prime minister of Iraq had said they wouldn't uh, release. They were responsible for the attacks on the U.S. military bases. And um, uh, and as soon as they got out, they went out and they celebrated. They, they trampled on pictures of the, the prime minister and set fire to Israeli and U.S. flags there. Um, but the... Uh, but the support for the proxies in Iraq has been way set back because of the financial situation in Iran, but also because of the virus. And I know that a number of the units have had very heavy uh, casualties, and they started reducing the payments to these militia groups, which are very critical to their uh, goals of expanding Iraq, and Iraq being critical 
to the control of the Shiite Crescent through Syria and Lebanon. Yeah, wow. A um, couple of things on this side of the world, if I could ask you. The the uh, a House panel chaired by retiring Representative Nita Lowy advanced bipartisan legislation Monday that would establish an international fund to facilitate joint economic ventures and promote people-to-people dialogue between Israelis and Palestinians. What do you know about this? I know that the Nita Lowy chairs a committee which put forward this. <laughs> this uh, it, 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 there are a lot of groups that engage in um, Palestinian-Israeli dialogue and have been lobbying for this for a long time. And uh, it could be positive because if you build up the economy, there will be less tendency towards terrorism and maybe more awakening to the realities that the the um, that whatever suffering is there is because of their government and the Palestinian Authority and its failure to to address the issues in fact they're doing nothing in in a lot of regards especially now that the disease has spread to the to the West Bank well I agree with Areas. you it's a good idea I just feel bad that a quarter of a billion dollars has to come out of uh, US taxpayers uh, pocketbooks that's the only thing that well we'll me. see yet uh, what the final uh, what the final deal will be, but uh, this is meant to be an incentive because the U.S. The U.S. has supported all along uh, programs of this kind. Yeah, like I said, you know, fifty million a year for five years though is a pretty steep price. Uh, what happened in the end with the um, with the letter on uh, financial aid to Israel? I know that that was a big issue last weekend in terms of. No, it's still going on, and Van Hollen, as you know, with a few senators. Uh, and some announcements of support from, uh, let's say, left-leaning uh, Jewish organizations uh, that just came out uh, overnight. Um, that, uh, but by and large, I think Congress will reject it. Most, almost the Republicans, to a person, uh, oppose it, and many Democrats, I think, will not support it. They did sign on to a letter critical of the annexation, and there are some who buy the argument that U.S. money should not be used to, to facilitate the, um, in any way the annexation. Uh, but there's no annexation, number one. And number two, the, the, um, so it's really perspective. And I don't think that it would pass uh, Congress. But a representative, and I'm being serious now, a representative that would fear the squad and worry about what the media would say about them, I, I would think this is, the, this is the time they'd be most nervous about signing uh, about uh, about not signing about not signing a letter like that. That that is true, and that is one of the concerns we have about shifting political correctness in America. And although again, it is a minority, and it's uh, and it and most of them are the usual suspects yeah. uh, of people who who engage in uh, in that. Finally, I mean, look, I, you know the, the makeup of this audience and the, gen- the general political outlook, both, and, and the audience obviously does include Republicans and Democrats, and I'm sure plenty of people who voted for Trump and plenty of people who didn't, uh, but you basically get the uh, the, the mentality that people uh, tuned in. It, it, it has got to trouble you when you've now seen who's advising uh, the, the um, Democratic candidate for president on the Democratic platform and on his positions, it, it has to bother you that he is being influenced by uh, by people who are really uh, I, I, w- I won't go ahead and say anti-American, but certainly anti-Israel. Well, first of all, he has a lot of people who are around him, and uh, many of them have been traditionally very strong friends of Israel. There are others there with whom we've had problems in the past. I think that um, you know these these things tend to shuffle out, but. Biden himself came out against um, cutting aid to Israel uh, as a punishment for annexation, even though he has come out against annexation itself. 
Um, I think that we will we'll see a lot more, and you know, a lot of it's speculative about who are the people. We'll see who the vice president will be. We'll see who are. I mean, there was one person, and I did look into it of somebody who's supposedly very anti-Israel or has a history of anti-Israel positions, and it turned out in, in reality not to be the fact that that person had the position of influence that uh, was reported. Uh, so, you know, again, we're in a very uh, hot political season. This is going to become more and more divisive. People shouldn't just jump at things. They have to look and, and be thoughtful about uh, their reaction and evaluate. But I'm talking about on a congressional level, on a senatorial level, on uh, all the elections. But the most important thing is that they get out, register, uh, and vote. And we see continuously the the importance of all of this and the um, and, and you know, with the rise of anti-Semitism and the increasing manifestations, and in that sports figures and others yep. can make hostile comments, even if they apologize, yep. but they're not subject to the same kind of sanctions from the general public that uh, that others are, or the and, league, or the league, or or the league, or the team, or the, yeah. or others, and then others come out and support them. Team uh, owned and, by uh, Jews. Anybody yeah. who's seen what a Farrakhan should be should be subject to sanctions and. Um, but but it's not just about Jews. I just saw that the uh, report that the anti-Christian attacks reached an all-time high sure. in Europe yep. in 2019. Yep. In Europe, more than half the attacks in France were against Christian targets, and you don't hear any outcry, any manifestations uh, about it. What that Turkey wants to turn the Hagia Sophia which was built by the, in the Byzantine period, in I think the 500s, uh, and then converted to a mosque when uh, the Ottomans came in, and then Ataturk in 1935 made it a museum and has been such a big tourist attraction. Now Erdogan it wants to make it back into a mosque, and, he, and it's part of his Islamization where he's introducing mandatory religious education of, of, of a Muslim Brotherhood doctrine, um, many other steps that, that he has taken, uh, he's also much more aggressive in in the, in the international sphere. Yet you hear almost nothing. He has set up posts inside Iraq in many locations, much the objections of the uh, of the Iraqi regime, and and yet we see almost no no recognition about it. So you know there are so many issues that people have to be on top of and be aware of. There are conflicts in in Libya, in Yemen that are ongoing and with all with international ramifications, whether it's Russia against Turkey and Russia with Turkey, Russia against Iran, Iran versus Turkey. In every country you can't even figure out the sides because they're shifting whatever uh, their interests. But the good news Israel launched a very important new missile, the OFEC, which um, has really amazing uh, spy potential and uh, uh, abilities, which will be able to enable them to keep track, especially of Iran, in, in much greater detail, but also cover the region. Um, and at this comes at a time when the U.S. is dropping uh, its um, satellite and imaging cap, which worries Israel and and others. Uh, but the 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 issues that we 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 have to address, that we have to be focused on, are so vast. And all of them will have long-term implications, and many of them are advancing under the cover of COVID. They use it, just as they blame Jews for it, and they use it as a way of arousing anti-Semitism. Many of them are using it as cover because all the attention is focused on other things. But see the anti-Semitic demonstrations and openly manifested in Paris 
and in the United States, on campus, in Canada yesterday, high school students yelling, Jews are our dogs at a, you know, anti-annexation um, uh, rally. And you don't have the consequences that, uh, you know, apply when, when they talk about others. And there has to be an overall evaluation and assessment of this. The future of the Jewish people is in the state of Israel. Mr. Honline, thank you. More so and more people realize it. Oh, that's for sure. Thanks so much for joining us. Have a wonderful Shabbos. You too. Be well. We'll speak again next week. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us Fridays, 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. Candle lighting at 8.08 New York. Erev Shabbos Parshas Pinchas. This portion of NSN programming brought to you by our friends at A&H. Abel's and Hyman Kosher Hot Dog Sausage and Deli is the world's best. Now in every Trader Joe's nationwide. How do you like that? Try A&H today. This time each every Friday, every Erev Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Uden, spiritual leader emeritus, Congregation Shomri Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Uden. Good morning, Nachum. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Pinchas. Parshas Pinchas, according to the Chinuch, contains six positive mitzvos. I think it's fascinating and exciting and encouraging that these mitzvos that we have in Parshas Pinchas are uplifting. What does that mean? We are in the three weeks. Yesterday was the fast of Shivasar Bitamuz. One of the five reasons that we fasted yesterday was because of Batel HaTomid, the Korban Tomid that was brought every day in the Beis HaMikdash, every morning and in every afternoon. This Korban ceased to be brought on Shivasar Bitamuz. It was the beginning of the end of the second Beis HaMikdash. So what do we find in this week's Torah reading? What kept our people going every year? Because most every year, Pinchas is either in the three weeks or right before the three weeks. The fact that the Torah promises us that we will have it again. And then we go to the Musaf of Shabbos, and then we go to the Musaf of Rosh Chodesh, and then we go to the Musaf on the Chagim. These mitzvos itself give us idud, give us a sense of its coming, and we can tolerate the long gullus. I'd like to ask, first of all, a very simple question. What is Parshas HaTomid doing here in Parshas Pinchas? After all, the third book of the Torah is the book of Korbanos, and had it been written in that book, nobody would have blinked. That's where you would imagine it belongs. What's it doing in Parshas Pinchas? I believe I saw this in the Oznaim Torah of Rav Sarotskin, an interesting concept, and that is, where are we now in Parshas Pinchas? We just had the transition that HaKadosh Baruch Hu says to Moshe, you asked for it, a successor, you got it. 
His name is Yoshua. So we are at that point in the Torah where we are transitioning from the Midbar, from the desert, into Eretz Yisrael. Oh, we're about to enter Eretz Yisrael. I want to remind you of a very important Rashi. Take out your Chumash in Bereshis. Go to chapter 15, Pasuk 6. Remember, there are no stories in the Bible. There are only narratives to teach us lessons. And so what do we learn? One of the many lessons from the Bris Bain Habsorim, the covenant that Hashem made with Avraham, whereby, number one, he promises him children. Number two, he promises the land of Israel. So, Rashi on that Pasuk, whereby the Torah tells us that Avraham believed in Hashem and Hashem considered this to be tzedakah on the part of Avraham. Rashi says the following, that Avraham did not ask for a sign regarding the promise of children, but he said to him regarding Eretz Yisrael, Rashi says that Avraham was asking I believe you, Hashem. You're going to bring my children, the people of Israel, to the land of Israel. What merit must they do to maintain the land? Because after all, there's a special relationship between God and Israel in this land. What might they have to do? Listen to this Rashi. God said to him, through the merit of of the sacrificial offerings, the korbanos. This is what kept our kesher between Hashem and Klal Yisrael all the years that we were privileged to have a quote based on Migdosh. Oh, so now we can appreciate Yoshua korbanos. I'd like to analyze a little bit the korban mincha, meaning the afternoon offering. It's interesting to note that both korbanos tomid. Tomid means constant. Every single day a korban was brought in the morning, a korban was brought in the afternoon. Whose korban is it? Yours, mine, ours. What does that mean? It was a communal korban paid for by each and every Jew when they gave in the month of Adar their machzis hashekel. So part of that money went for the daily korbanos, and this is one of those daily korbanos. On Shabbos, we paid for four animals being slaughtered and brought as korbanos in the base of Migdash. The Tumid in the morning, the Tumid in the afternoon, and Uvayom HaShabbos, Shnei Kvasim B'nei Shona Tamimim. Again, two lambs, of the first year were brought every Shabbos afternoon as the Korban, late morning, excuse me, as the Korban Musaf. Okay, so now I'd like to ask the following question. Why is it that we call the afternoon prayer Mincha? The morning prayer, which corresponds to the morning Tamid, is called Shacharis after the word Shachar. Mincha means a gift. 
Why is it that we call it mincha, a gift? We should call it tzoharayim, the prayer of the afternoon, the same way that myriv is called just that, because of the word erev, meaning night. And I'd like to suggest an idea which I saw in Rav Salavechik, Zechron Levracha's writings, and prior to that, it is found in the Abarbanel, in his commentary on Shmos, chapter 29, Pasuk 1, whereby the Chachme HaKabbalah, says the Rav, teach us that these two Korbanos Tomid that are brought daily in the Beis Migdash, they are both Korbanos Ola, which means that the entire Korban is burnt on the altar, and they are a gift, a gift to Hashem. The morning Korban is to thank God for Kol HaHechrechim, all of the necessities of our life that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gives us. He gives us life. He gives us the air to breathe, which we appreciate all the more when we have to put our mask on and we take it off and we breathe that much easier. Mayim, He gives us water, ochel, food, begadim, clothing. But the Tomid Shalbein Arbayim, the Tomid in the afternoon, says the Abarbanel, and the Chachme HaKabbalah, we're thanking Hashem for Kol HaMosoros. We're thanking Hashem for all the extras in life, for all the, quote, niceties, not necessarily necessities, but niceties. Now, we've come to take a washing machine and a dryer, no question, as a necessity. But if you think about it, our ancestors, not that far back, managed without it. When do we ever stop and pause and say thank you for the dishwasher that you might have? Again, is it a nicety? Is it a necessity? It all depends who you're going to ask. And then just look around your house, the pictures on the wall. Just look that you have, thank God, a nicer dwelling. All this is included in that which we're saying in the afternoon mincha, where the focus is on the shemen, the oil, the focus is on the solace, the fine flour, the focus is on the ayin, it's on the wine. A very interesting idea. Now let's take it one step further. The Gemara in Brachos Davav reminds us, Hizaru, be careful, Bitfilas mincha. Why? Sharei Eliyahu lo nene ela b'tfilas ha-mincha. Eliyahu when he challenged the 450 false prophets, and each was to take an animal, slaughter the animal, put it on the altar, and let the fire come down from heaven. And this is, they went, they tried, and they did not succeed. And we're told that... Eliyahu Navi, at the time of Mincha, Vahi Ba'alos HaMincha, Eliyahu Navi steps forward with his famous prayer to Hashem Aneini, Hashem Aneini, not for my kavod, but to teach the Jewish people with absolute surety that you are the God. And listen carefully, the Gemara at the very bottom of Lamid Aleph Amid Beis in Brachos 
tells us that Elio Anavi was Hitiach Dvarim Klapi Mala. What does that mean? That Elio Anavi, forgive me, flung words towards heaven. What does that mean? It means that sometimes it appears that someone is speaking more softly, directly. Other times it is more challenging. And Elio Anavi had the chutzpah to say to Hashem, V'yato hasiboso eslibom achuranis. You, Hashem, caused them to stray. Unbelievable. How is it possible for a Navi to say that you, Hashem, caused them to stray? And if you want to look and see this inside, it's in Malachim Aleph, chapter 18, verse 37. And the answer explained the Rav is that, interestingly, when does Elio challenge Hashem about the fact that they had too much prosperity and they didn't use their prosperity in the right way, but you gave it to them in the first place in the afternoon to remind us that each and every one of us, when we daven mincha from today and on, think about it, pause for a moment and say thank you to Hashem for the extras in your life. I want to conclude with one last aspect of the uh, Korban Tamid. There is a famous Medrash quoted in the introduction to the Ein Yaakov, whereby three of the rabbis debated what is the most important puzzle in the Torah. Now, you know, as I know, that every letter is absolutely necessary, but what might be the most important pasuk in the Torah? So, we find that Benanos says, man to man. Ben Zoma says, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echod, which is man to God. And the final one is Ben Pazi, who says, in our parsha, Esakeves Echod Taseh Baboker, chapter 28, Pasuk 4, Vesakeves Hasheni Taseh Bein Ho'arabayim. One lamb you shall make in the morning, and the second lamb you shall make in the afternoon. And the commentaries all ask, and it's decided in his favor. This is the most important verse. Oh my goodness, what does that mean? It means that this verse portrays the aspect of consistency. Every single day, day in, day out, we bring the same korban. And I don't have to tell you, there are times when all of us, or I take that back, most of us might unfortunately fall into that rut of routine. Yes, I have to dana mincha. So listen carefully. The tour tells us why mincha is so important. Shacharis is said before you've begun your day, before your interviews, before your business dealings, before you're calling for them to send you the money they owe you, all that you in shacharis before. Myriv, your day is over. But the ability of the Jew to extricate himself from his work and to say, stop, and I realize 
that it's all coming from you, Hashem, to thank you, Hashem, and to pause, and to remember your washing machine, and to remember all those things that your kids are going to day camp. We wish they were going to sleep away, but to thank Hashem for all the extras of life, this is Mincha. We're supposed to say Korbanos every day. If you can't say all of Korbanos, please, Bli Neder, take upon yourself to at least, men and women, to at least say the paragraph of Korban Tomid, which is said, which was brought every day. This is our participation. This is our Tishmeru, Tishmeru, you should guard it, protect it. I want to say, yearn for it. Meaning, like Yaakov yearned and waited for Yosef's dreams to be fulfilled, we yearn and pine for the Korban Tamid to be restored in our day. We finish the Shemona Esrei, Sheyabona Beis Amigdosh. Stop for one second and say to yourself, what did I just say? Hashem, please restore the Korbanos and our special close relationship, which is found and begins in Parshas Pinchas and is there till this very day. Shabbat Shalom. J.M. in the A.M. My thanks, of course, to Rabbi Yudin, Parshas Pinchas, at the uh, Parsha this Shabbos, everywhere around the world, yeah. Israel and the Diaspora have now caught up to each other, or more accurately, we've caught up to Israel. Um, Friday morning broadcast here at J.M. in the A.M. in our three weeks format. Many of you have been paying careful attention. In fact, it's funny, when I finished my conversation today with Malcolm Honline on the air, he and I said the future of the Jewish peoples in the state of Israel, he said more people are realizing that. Yeah. And that's not a throwaway line. That's an accurate assessment. 38 Olim landed this week on one particular morning as part of a Nefesh Benefesh group Aliyah flight in cooperation with the Ministry of Aliyah and Integration and all the great organizations that Nefesh Benefesh works with. Here are the stats before I introduce Mark Rosenberg to our audience, let me just go through these stats that were in the press release about this Aliyah flight. In June, 25,500 phone calls at the Nefesh Benefesh International Call Center. Last June, 5,300. Wow. <laughs> wow. Over a 350% increase. Plus, 1,350 Aliyah applications were submitted to the organization in June. In comparison, last year, 399. Mark Rosenberg is director of North American Aliyah for Nefesh Benefesh. Mark, welcome back to JM in the AM. Good morning, Nachum. How are you doing? Boy, you must be. You have job security, I can tell you that much. <laughs> you're, you're leading a department that's getting record numbers. My gosh. <laughs> oh, we have to work three times as hard with a three-time increase of all the inquiries. So That's it's really true. keeping us very, very busy. That's true. All right. Uh, so what happens is, and here's what I'm assuming. You'll tell me if this is actually how it, how it works. Uh, once it was obvious that there's no charter flight this summer, uh, you and your staff spoke, I would assume, to all the Olim, all those who want to move this summer, and got their preferred dates of the collection of dates uh, that you have for group flights to Israel, and 38 of them, 38 total people, 
uh, ended up on this week's flight. How did it go? Any any hitch to the group flight during COVID-19 or everybody landed, they're isolating, and, and life for them is starting as normal as possible in Israel? I think normal is uh, normal is out. So 2020 is not a normal year, and uh, though they've landed, it, it's been it's been a bumpy ride for all of us the past few months, and definitely the past few weeks for the 38 uh, new Israeli citizens. It's been a bumpy ride, and we're able to shift their intended airline carrier onto United, and they arrived and got here. So it, it's a tremendous uh, attribution to their flexibility, uh, but I think it's uh, it, it reflects more about their determination. They really have. Uh, a lot of focus and a lot of uh, resilience to to get to this point. So uh, with with that at that type of attitude, then changing their seats, changing the airlines, maybe changing a day or two for some of these flights was uh, an easier aspect considering the larger move that was at hand. Are they the first nefesh benefesh olim to make aliyah with United Airlines? Um, they are the, they're not the first. Um, we've had many different uh, people that will come on individual flights where there's a timing ah, issue. Right. This is our first group flight. This is the first time we've had uh, more than a handful coming on different flights at different times. Um, and the attitude of the, uh, the air carrier, they were thrilled to work with us. And the, and the, the, the Olympians got off the plane said there was a, a great energy when people realized that there was 38 new citizens on the plane. It, it definitely is uh, less of a feeling when the, the star and the flag of the country is not there to greet you. But I think that, once again, they're, I think their eye on the prize, their focus on getting here, and that this was the carrier getting them to uh, Israel and that he can land as official citizens was, uh, was the thing that carried them, uh, carried them to the airport, and ca- literally carried them to the airport and, and, and kept them going. Well said, Mr. Rosenberg. Mark Rosenberg with us from Israel. Now, there are, if I'm correct, and if I remember the, the uh, announcement correctly when Rabbi Fass was on, uh, there are three more July group flights that are scheduled, right? Yes, we do. We have uh, a, a two in the twenties, and I think one right at the end of the month. Um, and uh, we're <laughs> working to try and see if we get extra extra seats here and there. It is. Uh, it is. Uh, as, as we discussed just a moment ago, there's a lot of bumps along the way. So some of those bumps are easing up, and people realize that they might be able to come in July. So we're just navigating. Everything is really, really. Uh, week to week when it comes to some of these logistics. Do these three flights look similar to this one? In other words, if I told you that the rest of the July flights had around 38 Olim, would you say that's about right? Um, no, they fluctuate up to about like 60 or 70. Oh, it's wow. really about the, the dates and the availability. Sometimes there's 40, sometimes there's 70, sometimes there's 50. Wow. Um, and uh, and so, some, and we move it sometimes. If you know, there's a family of uh, six that gets there, suddenly we'll go from having you know 45 on the plane to like 50, 52, uh, depending on you know the clusters of people that are getting uh, getting approved. So it really is a little bit of a puzzle piece uh, to try a moving puzzle piece to try and get all these. Uh, Pardon for the face. The tushies on the plane, uh, as it may be. <laughs> By the way, the um, the uh, one of the things we obsess over every summer is the statistics and and the minutia. Yeah. I, I won't do everything here, but I do want to mention everybody uh, that the youngest Ole on the group flight this week was four years old, and the oldest Ole was eighty years older, eighty four years old. Even with a smaller group, you still have that incredible range, Mark. That incredible range to be so proud of that you're bringing great-grandparents and at the same time tiny little kids to Israel. I mean, you've experienced, and I think the, the most amazing thing, and I, I wish upon everyone, even if you can just 
be there to be there for the moment. When you walk down the aisle of a plane and you see that there's just this variety of ages and uh, beautiful backgrounds of people, but they're, they're really focused on one destination. They're facing the same direction. They're flying towards the same goal, which is the, the state of Israel, the, the homeland of the Jewish people. It really gives a, a great amount of, for me, excitement. And I, I live this day to day, and it really is a great unifying factor for people. And it's, it's, not, it's not an age limit. There isn't an age limit uh, to coming on Aliyah. That's not the barrier for most people. So we're thrilled to uh, help anyone of age or size to uh, make this dream come true. Now, last year, June 2019, 399 submitted Aliyah applications. This year in June, which just ended 10 days ago, 1,350. Now, based on your experience, the bulk of those 1,350 will likely make Aliyah, will likely move to Israel around when? What month of what year? So it's a good question, and I think that's what's so fascinating about the statistics, and I know that we're, we're coming on and speaking about it, and people are getting a lot of people asking. They're asking, well, are you still working? We're working. We're working overtime. But the, the traditional month, let's say, okay, it's July. We've, uh, we've already just about surpassed July of 2019. I looked last night. We just, just peaked over last night with applications coming in. And those people applying now, some of them are trying to come in the next three or four months, and some are coming in next summer. They're, they're, they're taking, which is maybe the normal report, saying, okay, I need 10, 11 months to get together. But what's interesting is that we see about 40% of those people who started will come on Aliyah in the next few years. So what, what, what we're wondering about, it's too soon to tell, is that will this statistic with the increase really maintain at this level? Will we really see a yield of uh, people that aren't going to get distracted or people that are going to have incidents that are going to cause them to delay their plans? And if we maintain a, a three-time increase in applications and can still have the total amount of people um, staying on that land, that land, we're going to have a very, very busy summer of 2021. That's Hashem. Unbelievable. Finally, Mark Rosenberg, did you have an opportunity to wish a mazal tov to the Fast family co-founders of Nefesh Benefesh. It was 18 years ago this week that they moved to Israel on what I assume was the very first Nefesh Benefesh charter flight. Yes, uh, we did. We had uh, our Zoom meeting, and not all our meetings are in, are in person, and we were together, and we just got down to business, and it was stopped for a moment. Someone just wanted to wish. Uh, we, have, we have to acknowledge the moment. We're uh, so much into what's happening in the future, and uh, working on the, the thousands of people coming this summer and beyond, that was like, wait a minute, it, it, today is the day, it's 18 years, and uh, it's a huge congratulations. Uh, several of the people who were on that flight are still involved in the organizations, and we started getting calls and emails from other participants uh, who were on that very, very first flight 18 years ago. And I think Rabbi Fast will be one of the first to tell you that when they landed, they were so focused on getting to Israel and then landing, and they started this organization that the question was, wow, what's next? And it's so beautiful and so uh, uh, blessed to just look back and see that it's continued for 18 years and the numbers are going up and more and more people are thinking about that and getting that type of support. And we feel very much that schut to be in the, the high year of Aliyah flights and to be, uh, to be continuing in this very, very special, uh, special work. Unbelievable. Uh, Mark, if people want information and if they want to start exploring Aliyah, as we know, the future of the Jewish peoples in the state of Israel, they can go to nbn.org.il, nbn.org.il, or the phone number 866-4-Aliyah, 866-4-A-L-I-Y-A-H. Best regards to everybody. Thanks for joining us. Have a Shabbat Shalom, Mark Rosenberg.
Shabbat Shalom. We look forward to being in touch. It might take us a, a drop slower, but we're going to help you. We're looking forward to uh, hearing really good news for the Jewish people. Knowing you and your staff, I don't think it'll slow down at all. I'm sure you'll aggressively make sure to take care of everybody who wants to move to Israel. More coming up at JM in the AM. Yeah, 
in the AM, our three weeks format Friday, but we've got a theme song. Time to say good Shabbos with Journeys at JM in the AM. Oh, no, 
My brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard and listeners sponsor digital radio. Around the world, the web at NahumSegal.com. On the NahumSegal Network, and of course, on the beloved NSN app. Wraps up a great week for us here at JM in the AM. Wishing everybody a wonderful Shabbos. Don't forget Kedem presentation of the uh, Arab Shabbos music mix all day long. Thank you to our friends at Kedem. Stay tuned in all the way until candlelighting time. Tomorrow night, it's Saturday night, single with Avrami. Sunday, it's JM Sunday with Matis starting at 7 a.m. And Monday morning, I'm back here at JM in the AM. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Great weekend, everybody. Till next time, Nachum Siegel reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.